First of all, can I say thank you for compiling this playlist, which is sensational? Oh, no worries. Yeah, it's, it's, I really like that playlist, and I try to keep kind of adding to it as much as I can when when new things come out. Um, so it's kind of an an always growing, hopefully yeah. always growing playlist. But, You've set yourself yeah. a. It's a really stupid thing to do because this could be ten thousand tracks long because of the amount of women in hip hop who are flipping the script. The book is, well, essay. How Women Came to Rule Hip-Hop. It's a deep-dive essay. Uh, is it 20,000, 25,000 words? Yeah, about 25. Yeah, I yeah. definitely could have gone way more than that, though, but I had a work count. <laughs> That's right. That, my one complaint about the book, far too short. I would quite happily have read 50,000 words because you have to cram it all in, but it's a primer. It's a hip-hop primer from hip-hop scholar, Aruza Qureshi or Qureshi? Qureshi. Qureshi. Of Pakistani descent? Uh, yeah, so my mum was born in Pakistan and my dad was born in India. Ooh, very good. Are you doing Ramadan this month? No, no, I, uh, I'm not religious in the slightest. <laughs> well, you say that, but for you, I would put it to you that hip-hop is your religion. Yeah, I mean, indefinitely in, in some ways. Um, it's been such a big part of my life for a while, a long time. And like I said, like I said in the book, it's kind of like a safe haven. and that's what it became for me, for sure. I was once taught that self-haven is a tautology, but I'll let you off that because a haven is a safe place. So you're saying a safe, safe place. It's like saying ATM machine. But That's true. That's very true. I never thought about it like that. No, because I'm used to editing lots of books and I've written a book as well, but I, re- I cannot talk about it because that's the football bit. But I'm actually looking at the moment for a music book that uh, hasn't been written yet. And obviously I'm not the one, fourth generation Jewish immigrant from Watford. I cannot write the book that you've written. You have written this book, Flip the Script, How Women Came to Rule Hip-Hop. You are a woman. You're a hip-hop fan. Tell me, first of all, before I forget to ask about the capital T tape. The tape, <laughs> yeah. So the tape is a, a, a big part of the book, I guess, or a big part of my hip-hop story. And in a nutshell, um, when I was growing up, um, I, I've got a little brother. He's this nine years between us I think yeah nine years and he was a very difficult baby um and he just would never fall asleep he just couldn't sleep I don't know you know I know that's a normal baby thing to do but it was particularly bad with him and we discovered that um he would really enjoy listening to uh like MTV music videos for some reason they soothed him no matter what it was it was very strange Mm. um so my sister who's uh, about eight years older than me um she just decided, let's just try and film, uh, rather record some music videos off MTV on the tape, and let's just replay it. And you know, when we're trying to get him to sleep, and so it had all kinds of things on it, like Tupac and, and Biggie Smalls and stuff, and it worked. And there was like a set of you know maybe ten songs or ten music videos that we would just play on this tape that we would rock him to sleep to, and and yeah, that was the tape. And we always talk about it in my family because it was just funny that it was. You know, it wasn't like lullabies that soothed them. It was gangster rap somehow. <laughs> this is a completely different era. So it's nice that uh, the dividing line for the generations is, do you remember dial-up internet? But another mm-hmm. method would be, do you remember putting a VHS tape in and having to rewind back to the beginning before giving it back to Blockbuster? Yeah, yeah. It is different and it's weird to think, yeah, that we, we would literally carry around this tape whenever we went anywhere. We would take it with us. And unfortunately, I don't know how old, I would have been, but 
um, we went to visit some family in London and um, took the tape and then accidentally left it there. And um, so we never got the tape back again. And uh, yeah, that was the end of the tape. But by mm. that point, my brother was kind of okay without it. But yeah, it, it was funny that it's funny that we relied so much on it. It could have gone that that tape could have gone in the Scottish Music Centre, of which you're on the board. And there was a great yeah. interview that you did. Uh, to promote this book, which, thank again, thank you for writing it. You don't need me to tell you it's brilliant, but I'll tell you anyway. I did hear that you want to write a biography of someone. Can I suggest yeah. Simbies? Why not Little Sims? Oh, I'd love to. I mean, you'll read in the book how much I adore Little Sims and how she's kind of like a bit of a hero. Unfortunately, the way the timing worked out with the book. So I was kind of finishing the book, I guess, around the same time that she was finishing her last album. And as much as I tried to get an interview with her for the book, it just didn't work out because of timing. So, yeah, that was like one kind of major like regret or thing that I was gutted about with the whole book. But, yeah, man, if I, if I had the chance to write a biography about Little Sims, that would be like a dream come true. You it's call her... The best of the best, and I am completely with you. I listen to a lot of country music, and there's a singer called Mickey Guyton, whom you may have heard of or written yeah, about. Yeah. And Mickey, had, uh, he, she was a tour support for Brad Paisley in 2015 when she put out her first EP. Her debut album came out last year. She'd moved to California and had a kid before the album had come out. or I think the baby came out at the same time as the album, sorry. And yet... Nominated for Best New Artist at the CMAs. Little Sims won the Best New Artist at the Brits. It, again, what is new? Because it's, it's a musical thing. It's a marketing term. Like Lizzo. I didn't know about Batches and Cookies until last week. Really? <laughs> wow. That, that was my introduction to Lizzo for sure. Um, mm. It's funny you say that because actually I knew Lizzo as a rapper before anything else. So in my head, she's still a rapper, but, but she's... You know, she's done much more than that now. She's, you know, in pop and R&B and other genres. But, but when I first, was first introduced to her, it was as like a rising rapper, yeah. which is interesting. I found out that they had to remove the first record, Bangers, from streaming services. So she qualified for the New Artist Grammy. It's a bit of machination. Yeah, yeah but the whole New Artist thing, I think, it just kind of blows my mind a little bit. Because, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's just my perception, but it always seems like with women in particular that women that have been around for ages and have been doing great things and have, you know, had a bunch of records and have a following, they still get lumped into this best new artist category, like Little Sims has. And you just think, why, why are we still considering these women best new artists? Why not just best artists? What's wrong with that, you know? I think perhaps they've got more chance of winning new artists. I remember seeing Bo Burnham, to, to take back to Edinburgh where you grew up and where I went to university. I saw Bo Burnham for the first time when he came here and he was a YouTube star, but he was so clearly ahead of everyone else. There's a reason he turned down Harvard and came to Edinburgh yeah. instead for that show. And I saw him on the wall outside the Pleasance that you'll know well, uh, not the Pleasance, Potter Row. And I said, can you be nominated for the best show? He said, yeah, probably. Because, I'd, and that's exactly what happened. He skipped the best new and nominated for the best show. And you've seen Inside. I imagine you're of the generation who will know yeah. white women on Instagram and Jeff Bezos. Yeah. And... I love Bo Burnham, but also Bo Burnham from like Fringe Days. I love, I love seeing his shows and stuff, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant because he's got a mind that lets people into the mind, but also is empathetic. And a lot of the best artists of any genre, I mean, it's very easy to say, oh yeah, Inside by Bo Burnham, best show of the pandemic. 
best is relative. When you say Little sure. Sims is the best of the best, you mean that having heard of every other rapper of every type, what yeah. Simbi is doing is streets ahead because it's her and the people she's addressing and the influence that she will have on the next generation. Yeah, and I, I do really, really believe that she is streets ahead and there's other people that are kind of clearly influenced by her that are coming up behind her. Yeah, the argument that yeah she's more maybe more likely to win best new artist, but she is the best artist. She should win the best artist because she's just brilliant and she really, to me anyway, is doing things that other people aren't. And like you said, influencing a whole new generation um, who are you know looking to her and realizing that they can definitely do the same. So yeah, she should be best best artist, not just yeah. best new artist. And I'm going to press you on this since you're a music yeah. writer. What is she doing? To me, I think. And I guess I'll talk about this in the book a little bit. There's always been this quality in UK hip-hop that is, is very different to like American hip-hop, for example, because it seems more socially conscious, maybe. It, it talks about certain themes that are relevant to you know generations of Brits that are growing up in, in, in the UK and experiencing certain events and certain problems that are very unique to this country. I think that there's always been this thing with women in hip-hop, particularly in the UK, where it's less about the kind of image side of it um, and more about the words and the lyricism and that goes all the way back to Kiki Kuru who I interviewed in the book and I think it's just a quality that's continued all throughout UK hip-hop but especially with women and of course you know genres have been full and things change but I really think that Little Sims kind of exemplifies that idea of look at, look at what's coming out of my listen to what's coming out of my mouth because this is important and I have something to say and it's you know, not just about me personally, it's about life, it's about people who are living similar lives and living similar experiences. And above all else, she's just an amazing poet. She really is. Her lyrics are just beautiful. And her drive and the way that she is able to deliver her kind of message and the, the themes that she talks about is, it's, yeah, it's just powerful. But she's not the household name that Lizzo is, perhaps by choice, although, uh, like Lizzo... Uh, Little Sims is doing some acting because she's in Top Boy. Uh, yeah. um, I've I realized I read Jeff Chang's epochal book, Can't Stop, Won't Stop, which I imagine is well yeah. thumbed on your own shelf. Yeah, it is. And it talks about Cool Herc and the block parties, which is 50 years old. Hip hop turns 50 next year. Is that 73? Yeah. So it's, it's a weird, good. It's a good time to write books about hip-hop. And in this book, I, re- I read that there are five pillars of hip-hop. They say there are four, which are... No, you tell me. Well, you've got the MC, you've got the DJ, you've got the B-boy, yeah. and the graffiti, yeah. which we don't see much of in the UK. Uh, but the yeah. fifth pillar is political consciousness, or just mm-hmm. being aware. And so that, I think, if you're, you're kind of putting levels like a kind of crystal maze task where you have different water levels in different test tubes in America there's more about the MC and the DJ and in certain bits the dancing and the tagging and less of the consciousness unless you're common or Tariq from the roots in the UK I think more attention is paid to consciousness and social issues I don't know if you agree yeah no I definitely am that is something I think is, is, like I said, unique to women in particular in hip-hop in the UK because I just think that in the UK, just in general in hip-hop, with that consciousness being at the kind of forefront of everything that rappers were doing here, it was 
when women kind of started to get involved in the scene and started to you know gain some popularity it was always that was the important thing still it wasn't you know whereas in america image kind of became a much bigger thing um, and a much i'd argue because of the music industry and marketing and just how things like that go but in the uk it just always remained about consciousness and of course there's different types of hip-hop and there's all different strands and you know i don't want to generalize but you're right that i think the consciousness element is definitely very unique to to the uk Uh, let us whiz now through some of the women who flipped the script and came to rule hip-hop. Uh, going right the way back, we've already mentioned Cookie Crew, uh, who were the yeah. ones who wanted to be taken seriously and put the words before the image. Rock the House, learning about their reaction to Rock the House is astonishing because you'd expect two girls to run with the popularity, but they distance themselves from it, I think, very yeah. smartly. Yeah, I mean... I should say, like, they're both lovely, lovely people. Um, and I was so, like, honoured that they wanted to, they were up for chatting to me and they still kind of stay in touch and they're, yeah, they're so great. But hearing their stories and hearing about that era where they were really popular and then how it kind of diminished over time and why it diminished is really interesting because it is, it kind of in a weird way was their choice because they started, you know, going over to America and they started you know, working with American rappers and American producers. And that was the point at which artists were, like, you know, other bars, like Salt and Pepper were really becoming popular. And that was all that was wanted at that point. But that wasn't them. They were tomboys. And they, they told me that. They were tomboys. And they always cared more about, you know, what they were saying and their messages and experiences and representing the UK. And because they refused to kind of change who they were, they were kind of dropped. And they just kind of faded away. And it's like, and I did ask them, actually, when I spoke to them, if you had decided to change your image or change who you were and go down that kind of salt and pepper route, if things would have been different, and they both were like, yeah, probably. Just kind of sad. But I also really, really respect the fact that they really stayed true to themselves. And again, that is, a, I think, a UK hip-hop quality. You are experienced enough. You were editor of The List, which we'll get to later on, um, which is the big cultural website in Scotland. And it's lovely to get an Edinburgh native uh, into the music library, which is where we are. Flip the script, How Women Came to Rule Hip-Hop by Arusha Qureshi. Uh, takes its place on the shelves. It doesn't take up much space which is uh, a word used in your book a lot, which uh, we'll come back to if we've got time for it. Um, but it's a wee book, 25,000 words. I saw it in Waterstones. And firstly, it was, why have I not seen this book? And second, how can I get my hands on the ebook? Uh, and you can, because it's available as an ebook and as a physical book. What would you prefer people buy? Oh, I really don't mind, to be honest. Um, I personally, I, I buy a lot of books. I've started buying more ebooks recently because of shelf space, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, more than anything else. Um, but because it is a little book, it's quite easy to just have a physical copy and just, you know, put it in your pocket. I kind of call it a pocket book because that's kind of mm-hmm. what it is. Um, and yeah, like like we were saying, it's about 25,000 words. Definitely could have been way longer. Um, but the whole point of the Inkling series is that it's like short little snippets of ideas and, and essays. Yeah, uh, seven fifty for the physical copy, four fifty for an ebook, but priceless if you hand it on to anyone. 
I think you could sell it as a young adult book because there's no bad language. They are strong, empowered, smart performers and artists. Many of them are frighteningly young, isn't it? You know you're getting old when most of the people in a book you're reading are younger than you. This, um, it's part of a, a series that you can buy all of them. Do you know people who have bought the whole set of Inklings? Were you given the whole oh, yeah. set? I bought the whole set. Oh, wicked. Because I wanted, well, I wanted to support 404 Inc. There. 404 Inc. is a Scottish publisher um, run by two amazing girls, Heather and Laura. And um, they've just generally done some really terrific work in Scottish publishing, in the Scottish publishing world and beyond. I support a lot of their previous projects and works. And the, the way the book came about was that they had a kind of open call for pitches and I put in a pitch for the book because I was already such a fan of what they were doing um, and yeah I think this idea of inklings this like small ideas it's just a really lovely thing because it's you could buy the whole set and you can learn so much in like a day because <laughs> well, they're easy to read and they're just you know nuggets yeah, I, I know nothing about Schitt's Creek other than it takes a while to get going, but there's a book in the series about that TV show, uh, which is like a love letter to Christopher Guest. Um, and there's something on Prince. A book about the end of the world and fiction, which is brilliant, by my friend Katie Go. Um, there's one about, by a writer called Maud, about blindness, living with blindness. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's like a, it really varies in terms of topics. And they just announced their next series as well. Um, which, which uh, will be coming out, I guess, probably from summer onwards, I guess. And yeah, again, amazing topics. There's one on like Studio Ghibli. Um, there's one on uh, friendship and female int- intimacy in, in um, fiction and in popular culture. Um, oh, I can't remember the other ones, mm-hmm. but honestly, they're, they're all really, really good topics. I love you, Mr. Frodo. That's what instantly came to my mind about agape, kind of friendship love. Um, yeah. which is which is a love we need to hear more of about. Definitely. I, I'm looking forward to this um, Billy Eichner film. You know, Billy Eichner's written a film, and it's mm-hmm. I think he's the first gay director to be greenlit or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It's taken far too long, but I, I, I don't know when it's coming out. But would you be seeing it at the film house or the cameo or either? Oh, either. I mean, I love both venues. Um, I go to the film house quite often just to sit and work because the cafe is lovely for that. I wrote my thesis there. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good place to work, isn't it? Yeah, and then the cameo, the cameo bar as well is a lovely place to just like meet friends. Um, but to be, to be honest, since the pandemic, um, I haven't really been to the cinema very much, which I feel quite bad about. But it took me, during the pandemic, I was shielding for quite a lot of it. So it took me quite a long time to just get back into being in like a room like a cinema and seeing films just because I got used out of the habit I guess um, I haven't seen very many films in the cinema but and, yeah I miss it and especially places like the film house and the cameo they're just so lovely environments are just great Whenever I tell people to go to Edinburgh, I always say have a look at the West End which is I call it the West End is that Lothian it's one road um, Yeah and then the, the kind of the posh bit of Edinburgh go to Stockbridge we went to Scran and Scally at the end of November which on a student budget I could never do, but yeah. my partner's a nurse, so she was moneyed. And it was the, the most amazing fish. Yeah. You know, Edinburgh is amazing for its food and drink scene, as well as, you know, we talk about music and, you know, talk about arts and culture, and it's, it's obviously great for that, for the Fringe and for all the festivals. But, you know, there's so many amazing new kind of restaurants and interesting kind of pop-up places that are appearing. And 
yeah, there's always something new. And um, especially in Leith, I would say Leith has mm. just got so many great food and drink places I still need to try. Um, and every time I people come to visit, I always recommend places I actually haven't been to because there's just so many new places to try. Absolutely. I love um, the Royal Botanics in Inverleith. And I also love the fact that my friend Matthew Young, erstwhile label manager of Song yeah. by Toad Records, is opening a botanic garden. Oh, Lynn. is it? I didn't realize it was, I thought it was like a, a little while away, but that's interesting. No, it's quite soon. I think they said June this June, but you'll hear about it, hopefully, because yeah. everyone in Edinburgh knows everyone else. And that's what's yeah. magnificent. And <laughs> It's easy to to graduate from a student into a human being. Obviously, it was easy for you because you got a job at The List, the magazine and the website, The List. Is it still list.co.uk? Yes. Obviously, Glasgow is the, the daddy of Scottish culture, but Edinburgh is the place to be, especially on May 25th, which is literally around the back of where you live. At the Queen's yeah. Hall, you and Helena have curated three series of gigs under the Amplify strand. Now, I have not heard of any of the three acts on the show. You're kind of performing a Jules Holland, Clara Ampho role uh, yeah. for that night. Is it selling well? Are, are people going to come? Yeah, so um, the first one was March. Yeah, March. And it was amazing. It was a really, really great night. But it was unfortunately that period when everyone had COVID. Mm. <laughs> A lot of people couldn't make it. One of our, our performers actually had to cancel because she had COVID. So it was a bit quieter, but it was the first one. So it was nice to just kind of get into the space and get used to it. The next one in April um, was a kind of hip-hop special, and it was so good. It was amazing. It was very busy. Um, everyone just seemed to be having a really great time. And, yeah, do you know when you're just in a, a gig or in a gig environment and it's just got a really good atmosphere? Entropy. It was awesome. Yeah, it was amazing. And um, so the next one, like you said, it's the 25th of May, and it's featuring three artists, Jana, Gabriel, um, Jada, and Amanda. And Amanda's Amanda Wilkinson, who was in Bossy Love, who is in Bossy Love, and was in other groups like Operator Please back in the day. Mm, and yeah. She's, she's like, launching her kind of solo stuff. Um, and if you haven't heard it yet, please listen, because um, she's so good. Um, and actually her next single comes out on the 25th of May so that's really exciting and she's going to be our headliner and Jada is a rapper who worked with Amanda on um, a recent uh, collaborative album that came out called uh, by, by Head Use I don't know if you've heard of Head Use Collective um, um, rings a bell they're like a Scottish collective run by Tamara Schlesinger um, and it's basically Scottish songwriters and producers and she sets Head Use up to basically try to amplify women who are involved in songwriting and producing, etc., in Scotland, and it's so it's, it's such a great project. There's so many great things have come from it. For example, like they've you know been able to get songwriting credits for for women and, and producing credits uh, in a time when work wasn't in existence in, in, during the pandemic. But anyway, they've brought an album out of um, all the people that were kind of involved in Headhouse and some of the collaborations. And one of them was um, Amanda and Jada, and it's. An amazing track and the reason we kind of put them together because we were hoping that they would perform the track at some point and they really will perform the track and the jada is a brilliant rapper in her own right so um yeah we're, we're really looking forward to it i hope it goes really well i mean there's a i'll be in stockport for the jubilee weekend i suppose i could get up there because I, well, any time I can go to Edinburgh, because I always love stepping off the platform at Waverley and going, yep, I know where I am, I know exactly where yeah. I'm going, 
And when I did the Fringe four years ago, I knew the best venue, the best people to see during the Fringe. Will you be around during the Fringe? Are you curating something? Yeah, so I was just going to say, if you missed one on the 25th of May, no worries, because we've got more coming up soon. Um, we thankfully managed to get some funding, so um, it'll, it'll be from after the festival onwards, so I think October will be the next one, and um, it'll be the same kind of monthly thing, and we haven't got around to programming anything, but it'll be similar kind of um, artists who we really enjoy. Um, in the festival, um, yeah, I'm going to be taking over as the editor of Best Magazine. Oh, um, marvellous! That is a yeah, brilliant role. Have you spoken to Evan Beswick about it? Because Evan yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm taking over. I'm taking over from Evan. Oh, he wow. is very, very busy with his because he works in the NHS. Um, and he actually stepped down, I guess, two years ago when the last proper fringe was. But oh, yeah. because the fringe didn't happen for two years, they didn't replace him. Um, so they were kind of just waiting to for the right moment. And then yeah, it's just it started this year. The, so it's run by the team at the Skinny, and they got in touch with me and they asked if I wanted to do it and I love them, they're great people, so I said yes. The... And I, I I love Evan, so yeah, of course I'm, I'm a bit nervous because he's so good at what he does, but um, he's very helpful, so it's going to be fun. He is my, my favourite Manx man. He's from the Isle of Man. He's a wonderful <laughs> yeah. human being. And uh, really yeah, his smile lights up a room and he's, I'm glad he's he's got... You, you need more Evan Beswicks in the health service. Yeah. Um, I 100% agree. I know of peter gagan who uh, i saw his byline in fest and then saw that he's involved in open democracy he's got this book democracy for sale and i said oh i know your byline he said yeah i used to just get free tickets i used to only do fest for the free tickets but it's tough being editor of fest you're in a box for three weeks is it every four days you produce a magazine or are you going online first this year no so i think Previously, they've done six issues in the month. Um, this year, they're doing four, so one a week, just to make up for the kind of lost budget and the lost, you know, lost two years of not having a magazine. So yeah, once a week. I think that's quite good, just in terms of shelf life for the issues. And yeah, it's gonna. I think it will be intense, but I have experience in that as the editor of the list as well. So pretty exciting. And I don't, I don't know if you've heard much about what's happening in the fringe this year generally, but. Yeah, it's, it's already starting to pick up. Things are starting to happen, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what I like about the... the uh, I think it must be Ryan Taylor at the Pleasance is the one who's announced the um, schedule for that. There's a lot of non-white men, and that mm-hmm. can only be good uh, for the comedy scene in the UK because I think we've had it with perspectives. No one wants to see, apart from the crowd who wants to see it, Sorry to do this. Chris Ramsey and Rosie Ramsey on BBC Two. That is an example of a commission that's going to make money. But how much better would it be to see, I don't know, Athena Kuglenu? Um, yeah. And I speak as someone who actually, I know Ben Verth, uh, who is involved at Monkey Barrel. Have you been, been down to Monkey Barrel on Blair Street? I've been there a lot. And actually, I will probably be spending a lot of time there in August. <laughs> it's a great place. Yep. Brilliant, brilliant life. So there's a free plug for that. Uh, I suppose I've got to plug Flip the Script, How Women Came to Rule Hip-Hop, which is your little book, your first book. Yeah. Is it longer than your undergraduate thesis? Yeah. Uh, God, I can't remember how long that was. But the, my, my undergraduate dissertation was on hip-hop, but it was more um, hip-hop in relation to... So it was focusing on the poetry of hip-hop, but relating it to the Harlem Renaissance, so poets like Langston Hughes, 
and how themes kind of connected. So That's it was more like half of it was on just on hip hop, and the other half was more on the poetry. So. Uh, but yeah, that's where the love, the love affair with writing about hip hop started, really. Yeah, that's right. That was uh, it, that was the words. I remember hearing the revolution will not be televised for the first time, and I still haven't heard anything like it. Flute and hip hop. Well, I think of one flute and hip hop. Yeah, to, to return to Lizzo, who is the biggest act in the world, and she's got an album out very soon. She debuted the song Special on SNL, and as I was listening to it, I thought, yeah, this is necessary. This is a good message for people who need to be told this by someone who looks like Lizzo. And it's no coincidence that her and Beyonce are from Texas. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've said before, like, Lizzo is an incredible artist. And um, you were, we were saying that Batches and Cookies, that song, that was my first introduction to her years and years ago. And I would say, I would argue that her style has changed quite a lot over, over time. Not in a bad way at all. She's just really versatile. She does lots of different things. And, you know, she worked with Prince before he passed away and she was very influenced by him. Um, I would argue that she's not, she wouldn't really fall in, in the hip-hop genre anymore because she's much more pop and R&B. But I think she's such an important figure in the music industry just in general, um, just in terms of representation, in terms of the messages that she that she kind of portrays um, in terms of the TV show that she's been working on recently with uh, about backing dancers. Um, I haven't actually seen it yet, but I've heard it's amazing. And she just seems like a really positive role model and somebody that I guess I wish there was more of when I was growing up. Yeah. I hope she's in control of her career. I'm really interested to hear this album, which we've been waiting well, nowadays, four years is a long time. She hasn't put... Rumours was the first new song of hers since the Cause I Love You album because they reissued Truth Hurts and reissued Good As Hell. At this point, she could headline a festival. Her and Harry Styles co-headlining Wembley. Oh, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah I would go for that. <laughs> but with an undercard featuring... Don't worry, we'll get to hip-hop now. Uh, featuring some of the acts mentioned in this book. Avril Lavigne has a new album out. Where is Miss Dynamite in her 20-year cycle bringing her back? Yeah, I don't know. I always get quite sad because I love Miss Dynamite so much. And I think, you know, she's done amazing things. But her and Speech to Bell, who both won the Mercury Prize, it just kind of felt like they they slipped away, but not, not through their own fault, just through the fault of the music industry and the music industry not really giving them the support that they deserve. When we look at people like Little Sims and other artists that are doing really well at the moment, I really hope that that doesn't happen to them as well because they deserve to be supported. And that's like a really big problem in the music industry. It's like women just don't have the support. I would argue that, that certain male artists have. Um, Miss Dynamite, um, I don't know. I, I, I honestly have no idea whether she would come back or what she's up to at the moment. I did try to interview her for the book as well, but um, it, it was a... I think she was too busy at the time. Um, I would love to write her biography. That would be a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I just, it hit my mind. that Didn't she win the Mercury Prize 2002? And she did. She did win it. She, did, yeah. she won the Mercury Prize and Speech to Bell won as well. Yeah, so, so did Dizzy were, Rascal, so did Dave. Yeah. So did Skepta. Yeah. So they're very good. Simon Frith, Edinburgh University professor, has the yeah. Frith chair in music. Uh, yeah, I actually had him as a lecturer at one point. <laughs> Well, my, my outside course in first and second year was music. So, yeah, um, he was so was mine. <laughs> yeah. I play the violin. So do you. Yeah, I do. The music 
critical world. I mean, Little Sims was the album of the year, critically, last year. And she got garlanded with the Brits, which is a commercial award. Dave and Stormzy have both had the platform at the Brits to bring their music into people's homes on primetime. And yet, who, who in outside the hip-hop community has heard of Little Sims? So there's definitely something there. And at the end of the book, you put together a sort of manifesto, but a list of reasons um, and, yeah. and tips, one of which is more female gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You're one of them. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean... You are. Don't <laughs> resist. I'm afraid you are. Um, Tiffany Calver's yeah. another one. Do you listen to her show on... Yeah, yeah I love Tiffany Calver as well. Um, yeah, they're, they're, I think there needs to be more people that are just, not even not like at the top of the industry, but just in positions throughout that are willing to kind of root for certain people and certain artists that they really enjoy and also kind of protect them as well. So um, in the book, I spoke to Baby Blue, Rachel Prager, who was a rapper and she now works for Idris Elba's label. And she spoke about how, you know, she's in that position now where she can really support young women who were maybe like her when she was rapping as a teenager and she can protect them and she knows what to do to kind of protect them. Um, and we need more people like her in those positions to make sure that you know, women get the support they need, but also they're not kind of turned away from wanting to be part of the industry because I think that's a big problem. There's so much horrible stuff that happens in the industry. You know, recently with Tim, Tim Westwood and you know other similar stories, and we need people that are protecting and creating safe spaces for sure. Absolutely. Not to conflate the two in the slightest, but there's a great book about DJing and dance music. And without any question, Jimmy Savile invented the DJ. He took two turntables to a club and was the first one to mix between decks. We know what happened next. Tim Westwood, without question, pushed hip-hop in the UK. Without Tim Westwood, hip-hop would have come a lot later than it did. And yeah, yeah. And I totally, yeah, I completely agree. And it's really difficult because I recognise what he has done for hip hop in the UK, but he's also a bad person, and those two can exist at the same time, you mm. know. Um, and you, you can definitely, you know, give him credit for things that he did in in, in the early days of hip hop in the UK for sure. But that doesn't mean he can get away with all the bad things he's done for sure. Right, and I'm sure journalistically, we have to say. Tim Westwood denies, as we speak on April 28, everything that he is alleged to have done in this shocking documentary, which was so shocking that the BBC News website led with the allegations. Uh, But to go back to the 1980s, I've just written a piece about the 20-year cycle and Mm -hmm. Roxanne's Revenge, which opens your book, um, has an echo 20 years later with the Amon Frankie story. Yeah. Which everyone's forgotten because it appeared and then it went. But that was everywhere, 2004. Yeah, God, I, for- I forgot about that too, to be honest. <laughs> the, the... It's, it's like one of those kind of call and response things, I think, that were really... Um, yeah, I think it happened quite a bit in early hip-hop, uh, especially when it came to women kind of fighting back against some of the misogyny and stuff. But yeah, it's definitely continued. That's like been a trend that's continued in all genres, and I, I would argue that it kind of pop, was popularized in hip hop and even earlier genres, um, like 
in dance hall and other things like that. We get an even Boy Zone and Westlife or Backstreet Boys mm-hmm. and NSYNC. There's always two. Pick a side. Yeah. Instead of that, uh, the Motherland Club Night seemed to be the place to be. And then later it was Shady's Queens of Art tour. We have the beef between Cardi and Nicki, uh, Cardi B and Nicki Minaj, which sells records for them. They know what they're doing. But what I was struck by uh, in your book was how vegan it was. There was a lack of beef in the book. Because I honestly believe that just, again, personally, I don't, I don't want to speak for other people, but to me, women in music tend to support each other and the kind of arguments and the beefs and stuff that exists it's an industry construct, and it's like you said, to sell records. In reality, all the women that I know that are involved in the music industry, that are in all genres, you know, they're they're supporting each other. And I found that over the pandemic, especially, that it was the women in music in Scotland that I kind of really led on and really took some solace in the crew who were willing to support each other and help each other through this horrible period that we were all going through. And yeah, like the kind of Cardi B and Nicki Minaj argument beef thing. I'm not denying that it exists. I'm sure maybe there's something going on there, but it's definitely amped up for purposes of selling records and selling magazines and selling other things. Um, and I think it's a shame because women shouldn't be pitted against each other. And that was always something that happened in hip hop. It was that argument of only one woman at a time could be successful and go through and do well. And that was why those kind of manufactured beefs happened, I think. Yeah. Well, as opposed to Biggie and Tupac, which was definitely not manufactured. And there are books and books and movies and more books about that because it sells. And if hip hop is 50, rock and roll is now 70. I think rock and roll is all played out. It's everything with guitars and bass and drums has been said and it's just a repetition of it. There's still novelty in hip hop. And incredibly, one of those aspects of novelty is the female or trans non-binary perspective. In your book, you outline or you quote someone, it's one of the academic, one thing this book has is a great bibliography. Um, so you've done your work, you're putting your Edinburgh degree to good use, as I hope I am as well. Um, yeah. I did classics, you did English Lit. Marcus Mumford dropped out after a term and look where he is now. I always, yeah. I always tell my Mumford story. I went into advanced Greek, he went into, came out of beginner's Greek. I knew who he was. I knew he would play at what was the Montague pub and still is uh-huh. the Montague pub. Uh, and then I ran into him around the time Babel was released. Babel, which went on to win Album of the Year at the Grammys. That he's had a fun, year, fun few years. But you quote this academic saying that there are four types of rapper. Using British female rappers, or as we call them, rappers, as an example. Can you outline an example of the Queen Mother, Fly Girl, Sister with Attitude and Lesbian? Hmm. Yeah, OK. So Queen Mother, I would say maybe Money Love, just because she worked so much with with Queen Latifah who was like the kind of ultimate and another thing I just should mention I, I, I love Bonnie Love and I, I should try to interview her as well for the book but I think she's actually working on her own thing that's what I was told so keep an eye out for that whenever it comes That'd out that be a great book because I know very little about it, but like Estelle she flew over to the States and made her career because there wasn't room for her here yeah exactly exactly and it's a very common kind of theme I think that happens to a lot of David E. Yellowwoe, Chiwetel Ejiofor, yeah. yeah, it goes on and on. Exactly, exactly, it's so common. Fly Girl, would that be? Fly Girl, the lyrically talented but still cool and sexy woman. Yeah, 
the problem is there's so many. <laughs> like, I'm actually trying to rack my brain for, like, who would be the perfect definition. Mm. I don't know. I think maybe I'd go with somebody like IMDDB. Yeah. 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 Whom I discovered I through your, your Spotify playlist. Yeah, but like I said, there's others as well that definitely could fit into that kind of uh, label. Yeah, so Fly Girl, Queen Mother... Sister with Attitude, the defiant woman who uses attitude as empowerment. Well, there's only one here, and she's my new favourite. Ivorian Doll. Ivorian Doll, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Also, I would argue, you could also say another person that came across recently. Um, Her name's Queen Mills. I don't know if she's new, but I just came across her recently. I think she's from Leicester, and she's brilliant. I would put her in that category as well. Yeah. I mean, there's the Sister with Attitude is... I love Megan Pete. I love Megan the Stallion because she's got a degree in pharmacology and also yeah. is one of the best rappers in the world. Yeah, I love her. She's fantastic. Um, she's part of this kind of new generation in America as well. They're just um yeah, doing interesting things and deserve to be taken seriously for it. Yeah, and at the same time dropping 16s on a Maroon 5 record for instance as <laughs> yeah. I, as we heard because yeah. she's making money. And then lesbian yeah, um, I actually don't know about that one because I don't want to assume anyone's sexuality or gender identity. Well, I'm sure... I mean, obviously, obviously they exist, but I just can't think of them off the top of my they're head. In, no, they're in the book. Let's flip the script, How Women Came to Rule Hip-Hop. Mm. 450 as an e-book, 750 as a pocket book. Yeah, um, I don't know about that one. All right. Okay, anyway, in America, I don't know, well, maybe it's just me that thinks this, but there's a lot more personal lives kind of being out in the open, whereas... I don't really know much about the personal lives of a lot of UK rappers. Well, it was interesting to find out about Poetic Pilgrimage, who converted to Islam around the time of the 7-7 mm-hmm. bombings, which must have been really quite awful. Um, but you spoke to them for the book as well? Yeah, so um, Manira, one of, one of the two um, women in Poetic Pilgrimage, and she's great, and she's a poet, and, she, and while they're not really active in the thought anymore... She had a book out recently, like a poetry book, and, and she's still, you know, doing spoken word and performing, and yeah, she's really, really great. If there was a movie of your book, who would be the star? As in, who would be the, the who would the focus be on? Yes, who would be the big breakout star of this book, ideally, if it were made into a doc? Just on, on a personal level, I would really love to see a documentary about Cookie Crew. Um, and or a film which kind of dramatizes their whole story because I think their story is so interesting. In terms of breakout, the I would I would like to focus on maybe Scottish a Scottish artist or a, an artist from Wales or an artist from Northern Ireland just to be a bit different. So I would say Nova from Scotland or Dea from Wales, for example. Yes, Nova, who won the Scottish Album of the Year award, the Say Award, which um, mm-hmm. I think was it twenty eleven or twenty twelve, the first one. I couldn't believe there wasn't one before. But knowing a lot of people as I do on the Edinburgh music scene, it's great to see a Scottish rapper. Like in the tradition of Young Fathers as well. Yeah, and I love Young Fathers too. But um, the, the, I guess the Say Award and stuff, that was what really kicked off the thinking for the whole book. Because it was when I was thinking about putting a pitch in. So, both, so Nova won the Scottish Album of the Year Award. And the Welsh Music Prize in 2020 was also won by Dea, another woman in, in hip-hop and then beyond the uk denise chyla was announced as the winner of the choice music prize i think and you know maybe that is a coincidence but for three women in hip-hop to win these big prizes the same year it just felt like something was happening or something was changing in people's mindsets and that was 
the thing that kind of encouraged me to put in the pitch, I guess, for the book. And it is in your hand. Has it been well received? Yeah, I've been really, because I, I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't. And it's been lovely. So like, Marianne Hobbs gave it a shout out on her first show, which was amazing. And um, there was a excerpt that was run in The Guardian as well. Um, and people have just generally been really kind and definitely thinking about this now. I, 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 like I keep saying I could have written so much more. So maybe, you know, maybe there's another book in me somewhere. I don't know. But yeah, there's definitely so much more to say. And I, that's the one thing I feel bad about. There's things that I wish I could have included, but I just couldn't. It's a work out. I thought there should have been a lot more memoir. You touch on it in the introduction, but you spoke to the Breaking Atoms hip-hop podcast, which I didn't know about, and now I do. They seem like very cool guys. As oh, yeah. they say in hip-hop, Brilliant. cool. Um, yeah. You said that it's not a lot of people like you in journalism in Scotland, spurred on by the negativity. You still feel like an outsider. It's the problem of diversity in the media, and there are problems, mm-hmm. because of what I've just called be a doctor syndrome. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think in my case, when I was growing up, I, I knew... So I, I, I wanted to be a musician. That was my kind of goal. Okay. And I'm glad that... Because I wasn't... I was not good enough to be a musician. But I, I love journalism. And I love writing. And I knew, you know, I when I got to, like, kind of high school age, that journalism was something I was really interested in. Yeah, I did. Like I said, like you said, I didn't see anyone like me doing it. And so it wasn't... I mean, I was very lucky that my parents were supportive in what I wanted to do, and there wasn't any pressure from them about going down any particular route. But it was, the pressure was from from me of not seeing anyone else being like, "I'm not sure if I can do this because I don't think I would fit in. I don't think if there's nobody else that exists like me, then what, what's to say I would be able to do this?" You know, that that's the kind of thinking that I, I think a lot of people probably have because representation is important, and seeing somebody like you doing, for example, a job that you want to do. It just makes it seem all the more possible. So I'm sure there there is, in terms of diversity and in terms of jobs in the media, I think the media definitely should work harder in terms of outreach with like families and communities because there is definitely still a kind of bias against um, career, careers in the creative industries, um, especially like just you know from like, Asian communities, which I'm familiar with. But I think if, if more work was done in terms of you know, reaching out to families and communities and, and explaining how many different roles exist in these careers. Like, you know, being a music, working in music isn't just being a music journalist or, you know, working for a record label. There's so many different things you could do. I think that would make such a difference in the long run. I went to a, an independent school just outside London and the most famous person from the school in the last 25 years is a guy called Rizwan from Wembley who was on a scholarship. And yeah. it was quite funny when he was Riz MC and making some biting satire. And then he was in Four Lions, a Chris Morris film. And then he was in TV and now he's nominated for... I think he won an Oscar, didn't he? Yeah. Um, probably it'd be great for Riz Ahmed to be known just as an actor. But yeah. he's a an, what you'd call an actor of colour. Um, mm-hmm. But surely he will have... Um, introduced a lot of South Asian, people of South Asian descent to the acting industry. And I'm sure he's doing a lot of work behind the scenes, much like Idris Elba's doing, um, to make sure that it's less white. Mm -hmm. Like like I was saying, it's about representation. It's about showing people and making people believe that, yes, they can do this. Just because there are so few of us, that doesn't mean that you can't give it a 
a go and try. And it's not really about, you know, like some people, the argument against diversity is like, oh, well, you know, it's, it should be about talent and not about whatever. Yeah, but the thing is, the, the problem is that the opportunities have to exist in the first place. And I think people like Riz Ahmed are doing a lot to make sure that there's more opportunities for people from diverse backgrounds. And yeah, it makes such a difference. Yeah, Lenny Henry as well, who is, um, he released a childhood memoir and he's following that up with the second book, which is the interesting bit about being a guy with a sitcom on telly. And I think Mo Gilligan's book was great because he said that he was the first black guy since Richard Blackwood to have any kind of TV success. And it's true. It really hasn't. Are you ever conscious of being a pioneer in what you do? Um, It's it's, it's difficult in Scotland because I think that sometimes it feels like we're, we're a little bit more behind the rest of the UK or behind London in terms of like diversity and in terms of representation goes and there are definitely a lot more you know women of colour involved in journalism in Scotland now for sure and I know a lot of them and they're brilliant I also I do kind of worry about the kind of tokenism element of it and you know I, I don't want to ever be tokenized, I guess and nobody I know would want that um but I, I also recognise that it's important to kind of be the be the first in certain situations and somebody has to do it for then other people to come up behind you and be able to do it as well. So it's a, it's a bit of a conflict, like an internal conflict, but I am quite happy to support, you know, diverse talent as much as I can in Scotland and, you know, hopefully be somebody that other young writers can look up to and, and yeah. think, you know, okay, well, she's doing it, then, yeah, I can, I can do this too. Queen mother of Scottish arts journalism. I was yeah. amazed a few years ago, all the SAB positions, I think it must have been 2018 or maybe last year, all the SAB positions yeah. at university were women, were held mm-hmm. by women, and that is something. Yeah, um, it is, and things are changing, things are definitely progressing and getting better but there is a lot of work to be done and everyone knows that but I'm here because things are progressing and I'm able to do this because things have changed over the past over many years yeah I don't want to bang on too much about change but I used to have lessons in the David Hume Tower mm-hmm. which is now not called the David Hume Tower mm-hmm. do you think that's helpful to change the name of a Scottish Enlightenment philosopher what was your view when they changed the name? To be honest, I don't have a really strong opinion either way, but I think there's been a lot of work done in, for example, in Edinburgh and Glasgow, with just calling out, you know, for example, people that have been involved in slavery and really making people aware of where that legacy comes from. And I think it's really, really important to educate people as much as possible. Um, and if that means changing a name of something because, you know, it people more people recognize and understand the history then fine i'm okay with it but for me the, the biggest thing is that more people should be taught this like in schools yeah. and beyond <laughs> when i was young they could not teach homosexuality in schools because of law it was only 2003 that it was overturned the equality act came in in 2010 the year i graduated yeah so since then we've seen fairness and decency mm-hmm. The great thing in the music library is that there are so many books and fanzines and in the future every edition of Fest that you will edit and I hope you have fun with that because it does seem the best role at the festival. 
forward to. And also because you'll get to probably go and see some shows of your own. Do you, are you looking forward to anything comedy wise? Yeah. What am I looking for? I, actually, I don't want to say because I'm not sure what's been announced and what hasn't. So oh, I'm not okay. sure what I'm allowed to say and what's not. But there's some really good people coming this year. Um, I'm very excited about. And um, yeah, like I said, I think it's going to be interesting after having this kind of gap for for a while. Um, everyone's very much just ready for art and culture That's to come right. back. Here, here. And having played in 2018 when the festival booklet, if you dropped it from. Uh, Northbridge, you could kill someone. It was that big. I wonder yeah. how much thinner it's going to be this year and how much of a hit the think, arts have really taken. I don't, think it will be, I don't think it'll be thinner. I think the best festival programme generally is going to be probably just about the same as it was in 2019. Oof. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of people coming, um, which is great, but also, you know, the whole argument about just needing to kind of be a bit weary of not overdoing it in the fringe because we have to look out for each other and look out for just in terms of health and well-being, but also, also mental health. Yeah, I suppose it's handy for you that... Oh, where's the office going to be, the first office? Um, so they're based in... So the Skinny are based in Codebase, um, near the grass market. So oh, I'll goodness. be in there. That is a 10-minute walk for you across the meadows. Yeah, very, very easy. That's marvellous. So um, flip the script, How Women Came to Rule Hip Hop, one of the books of the year, because you can read it in one sitting along with this uh, playlist as well. I hope there's a second book coming. I will end with a plug of my own, because this week I'm writing about quotables. Cardi B uh, was judging a hip hop show and she said, you need more quotables. And instantly I knew what a quotable was. So um, the one and only D-O-double-G is a quotable. They don't know I do it for the culture, is a quotable. Can you, Arusa Qureshi, come up with some UK rap quotables that you constantly use or write from the likes of, I don't know, Don Chi, Nole, Steph London, Lady Leisure, any? Oh, uh, one, you know, Lady Leisure's Queen's Speech that she does on YouTube become like huge I love them so much but uh just the kind of lyrics in those song tracks generally I feel like they're very very quotable yeah. um I'm trying to find one that in particular that's sticking to my head I can't I can't find it right now well, brush your teeth because she says that yeah. like 20 times <laughs> that one. yeah that it's a quotable because it's yeah. some, I loved I loved how there was this trend for foodstuffs in hip-hop like coffee <laughs> and um didn't Drake have one as well but they go through trends and it's so interesting now that people are writing 15-second hooks and then building a song around them because that's what... We're getting old. That's not how just, a song used to be written like. I thought of one that was very much in my head a lot last year, which is, you know, we're talking about Little Sims so much, but um, a Little Sims woman, you know, that uh, woman to woman, I just want to see you glow. Good. That, I love that line so much, and I have that in my head constantly because it's just, yeah, yeah it sums true. up. Yeah. Yeah. And unsurprisingly, it's Little Sims, whose album, Sometimes I Might Be Introvert, well, won her the best new artist at the Brits. But have you seen her live yet? Tour that show. Didn't she tour it recently? No, because, and you know why? Because when she was in Glasgow, I had COVID. (laughs) So she really got it about. uh, So I couldn't see her. I missed her. But she's going to be back in Edinburgh at the Connect Festival in August. So I'm really hoping to see her then. And if not, then I'll see her at some point for sure. Yeah, you'll have to do what Prince did with Leanne Le Havas and just invite himself over to her house. And yes. she'll, yeah, you'll be, you'll be in the same room. And you won't get um, 
frightened, you won't get nervous about, about her. She is just an artist. I think, I think like, because I, I interview a lot of people, and I think I always get nervous when whoever it is, it doesn't really matter, but um, I think I've just been more excited to meet her, to be honest, and just speak to her and just, yeah, ask her all the questions that I have for her. That I could On your second before. album, what sound do you make? <laughs> it becomes one of those kind of... Yeah. Yeah. If you get someone going uh, on, um, I always say, what's your thing to people? And your thing is woman in hip hop. Or, yeah. Or in the future, so. they'll be called rappers. Oh, the other question I meant to ask you've got a partner. Is yeah. he a fan of female rappers? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean,. Without a doubt, I'm always like telling him to listen to, not telling him to, but you know, sharing. We've we've been together for ten years, and uh, we we kind of always have liked the same kind of music. Um, he's very much into like electronic music in particular, but yeah, I'm always sharing my music with him, and yeah, he he's very educated when it comes to women in hip hop. <laughs> I would I would hope so, and that's the fun thing about music because it's. Um, as I learned in the first lecture I ever attended at Edinburgh, which was Music 1A, Music in Social Context, it was uh, Peter Nelson talking about yeah. John Blacking's definition, how musical is man? And the definition of music is socially organised sound. And that is why we always take the social context for something in regard. And on May 25th and then in October, you will be putting that definition to good use. And I wish you so much luck at Fest and... I'll be looking for your byline at NME and Fader and Clash and about 26 other places that you write. Um, what are you working on at the moment for next week? What am I doing right now? I've got a project which is kind of unrelated to music, actually. Uh, it's about uh, a theatre in Scotland who did some really interesting things over the pandemic. And I'm kind of helping to write some case studies about um, all the kind of productions they put on, which include like pantomimes. That's quite interesting. Um, I'm also writing, just right now, just my deadline's tomorrow, so I really need to do it. Um, I'm writing a piece on um, Paul's Live Through This. Um, mm. It's kind of like a reflective piece on why that album has been important to me in my life. It's for a magazine called Cocoon, which is all about um, music that kind of has helped you through through life in Cocoon. some way. Yeah, Cocoon is brilliant, and it's uh, part of the Profits Go to Charity, and... Um, it's, so each person writes about an album. So I picked Live Through This. Uh, I will put that. Is that as Doll Parts on that one? What's on Live Through This? Yes, yes, Doll Parts and Asking For It. And it was the album that came out um, just after Kurt Cobain died. Yeah. So there's a lot of, yeah, it's just it's very interesting historically, but just in terms of the actual music itself, it's, it's the album I put on when I need to be angry, <laughs> if that makes sense. yes. Part of this series, so this is the music library. I'm also doing a series of 45 playlists and mm-hmm. essa- like annotated essays. So the one on the quotables is going to be funk. So I'm going to have to spend next week listening to a lot of rap music uh, to get oh. these 40 quotables in. I've got some of yeah. the obvious ones, um, but I will use this playlist and uh, yeah. and have some ideas from you and read through. I'll have another flick through your book. Um, but to quote we Papa Girl rappers, you rule. Oh, thank you so much. That's really kind. <laughs>